it's Mel and Kel, and this is It's Called Culture. Ever heard of it? It's called Innocent Until Proven Guilty. Ever heard of it? We'll see if the court system, in Lizzie's case, abided by that rule. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a couple things. They had what they called an inquest, which was very early on where they came in and they just questioned her. And I don't think Mm -hmm. she could have she couldn't have like a lawyer or anybody present. It was like just her. She had to answer all these questions. And apparently there was either conflicting information or things that were different than what she had said to police right at the time of the event. And people just found her demeanor odd, which I guess I don't know how they knew about her demeanor if this was a closed door thing. But I'm guessing the transcript got publicized after the fact or something. But later it came out. That she was high as fuck on morphine during (laughs) this inquest, which was used very much against her in her public reception after she got arrested to create her arrest, all of it. It was just kind of effed because obviously she was high and she was on morphine. They gave her morphine because she just found her parents murdered. So she was obviously a mess and they needed to like kind of calm her down i suppose she's high (laughs) technically and she's getting freaking interviewed solo without any type of lawyer she had asked like can i have like a lawyer present or something and they were like no ma'am you may not yeah just just the doctor with the morphine drip keep it coming (laughs) (laughs) and then some months after Maybe, I don't know, eight months or something go by. And then there's a a full trial. She's on trial for murder of her dad and her stepmom. An interesting thing that happens days before the trial, another axe murder takes place in Fall River. Insane. And Miss Lizzie behind bars, homegirl didn't do it. (laughs) Homegirl didn't do it. There's no chance on this one. (laughs) The person who was murdered was named Bertha Manchester. She was a young girl, like 22 years old. She lived on what they called a farm. Like they were acting like it was like rural farmland. But I think it was like New Boston Road, like Meridian Street, like that area. I don't know where it was. It was. Yeah, her home was on New Boston Road. So what do we think about it today? (laughs) We're like, like, where is this? I think there's a 7-Eleven there now, like. Where was this farm that she lived on? It's hard to picture. Yeah, it's just, it's a lot of land back then. A lot of land. (laughs) And there's not a lot, there's not like gas stations. So we just have to think there's a lot of land. So there's potential for a farm. So this woman is found murdered with an axe. I think they found the weapon discarded somewhere in the woods behind her house. She was killed with 23 wax to the head. Okay. So even more so. wax than mm. Lizzie's parents got. Same weapon. Well, obviously not same weapon, but, you know, same weapon used. Same spot on the body. <laughs> the head. You know what I mean? Very, very similar. Just saying. Just putting that out there. Eventually, they catch this guy. And I think they might have even caught this guy 
before the trial started. So like within those couple days, mm-hmm. like it was almost immediate that they they catch this man who supposedly did this axe murder to Bertha Manchester. He just so happens to be from Uzosur, <laughs> Portuguese immigrant named José Correa de Mello, something to that effect. What the media failed to mention was that this man was not in the U.S. at the time of the Borden murders. They failed to mention that his immigration from the Azores was after the Borden murders had taken place. No, so not even like anywhere close. Like he wasn't even he wasn't even on the same country. <laughs> but the media failed to mention that fact. So they just said, oh, like we caught this axe murderer man, this Portuguese immigrant who murdered Bertha Manchester. And it was enough or was it enough to cast doubt on the public and the jury's perception of Lizzie and Lizzie's guilt or innocence? Did this have an effect on the trial? Oh, there's just a serial axe murderer going around. We caught him. So Lizzie's innocent. I think you would have casted some doubt on my end. If I was currently living at that time, 1800s, and then all this happens within a short amount of time and not knowing that the man wasn't here during the Lizzie events, I'm going to have some doubts. <laughs> I'm going to have some doubts. Three people getting murdered the same way. How, how could you not have some doubts, right? There was some question about whether or not the jury had been already sequestered. And would not have been privy to this information coming out in the news. Mm-hmm. Undetermined. Some okay. people say yes. Some people say no. This guy from the Azores, just to close out this Bertha Manchester piece before we get into Lizzie's trial. Apparently, he worked on this farm for this Bertha Manchester's dad. And he employed a whole bunch of immigrants. He didn't give a shit what their names were or how he paid them or anything to that effect like when he was questioned about like who could have done this like who works for you that kind of thing he was like i don't i don't pretend to keep track of my immigrant workers names or anything like that like he was very much dismissive of them but i guess it was over some kind of a dispute in pay he didn't get paid for a job or something like that or he he got fired and didn't get his back pay something to that effect somehow that translated into him killing the daughter which i think it came out the guy ended up like confessing to it and i think it came out that he went there to like rob some stuff from the house because he didn't get paid Mm -hmm. like oh i'll just go rob you and i'll get what is owed to me he ended up coming across the daughter didn't expect her to be there and apparently zah says this was self-defense the daughter came at him with an axe because she saw him trying to steal stuff from the house and then he turned it around and like there was a struggle for the axe and he killed her. But 23 blows seems excessive if that's self-defense on a right. on a 22-year-old woman. Right. And then like did the axe belong to you or was the axe already home? Because if you showed up to the house already with the axe, you had intentions. He no. So he claims it was like she's the one who came at him with an axe. Right. But like, he just saying, went in like- there. Just he just went in there for some jewelry. <laughs> I'm not laughing at the murder. It's just the fact that, like, he just wouldn't bit her off. Because, <laughs> you know, that makes it everything okay. Do you want to know how he got caught? I guess, no. <laughs> I guess some of the coins that he had stolen from uh, this girl's purse 
were very distinctive collective coins. Like some of them had like a hole drilled in it or something like it was very distinctive. And they knew that the coins in the purse had gone missing as part of the murder. And this man, Josette, went straight to the fucking shoe store and bought himself a new pair of shoes with these coins. Oh, no, Josette. (laughs) You got to wait a while before you start spending the money or like don't use. I don't know if I would use those coins, but you got to wait a while at least. He did not launder (laughs) that money. He did not launder it. He went straight to buy some new sapatins. Oh, I wonder if we got some like little leathers with the bows. Like probably like I feel like every Portuguese man wore those type of shoes. <laughs> so he got oh, sentenced shit. for like a long time, possibly even life, but mm-hmm. somehow got out after like twenty years. After twenty years, he must I don't know, he had good behavior. I don't know what the hell happened, but they just deported him back to the Azores and they was like, just don't come back to the US. So he just went lived his merry life at 40 years old in the Azores. Back of the sush. Oh, man. And Cray is a very popular last name, so I wonder if there are some descendants. <laughs> one of you is related to him. One of us. He's probably my cousin. One of us. I don't know. Oh, did you, I have some, did you during your rabbit hole, did you see like what part of you like what part of the Azores he was from you you might do that later (laughs) it did not give me an island location and there was like very little known about him again this was so long ago all that drama is being drummed up right at the start of the trial for some reason they decided that the trial jury could not be made up of people from Fall River they were just like nobody from Fall River can be on this jury which makes sense. She wouldn't get really a fair trial. Also, I guess at the time, women were not allowed to vote or serve on juries. So it was a jury of 12 men. Not good. And now you're getting a jury that is from towns surrounding the area. You're getting more of like the farmer vibe. You're not getting the the Fall River, the city folk. <laughs> <laughs> and the trial was held in New Bedford, New Bedford Courthouse. For three weeks. A three-week trial, huh? That doesn't seem long. I don't know. Double homicide, three weeks. Does that sound right? No, especially <laughs> given the amount of witnesses and shit that was involved in this. Like, I pulled up a document with, like, the court transcripts. And it was, like, 400 pages long of the most obnoxious lines of questioning and repetitiveness and circular references and misinformation and just how do you sift through all of that in three weeks time that's not enough time no you're determining someone's life if they're going to jail or not and like you're trying to obviously give justice to the victims and to the smallish so that's how long i go to that's how long i go to the ASOS for <laughs> i think what was at stake here was Death penalty by hanging. Just going to swing from the gallows, we said, right? Three weeks? Nah, I want more time. <laughs> like, read that shit. <laughs> especially if you're innocent, you know what I mean? Like, especially if you're innocent. <laughs> let's take our time here. Let's, let's sort out these yeah. facts. It seemed like a clusterfuck. Lizzie did not testify. 
All she said was before I think the jury went to go deliberate, she said, I am innocent. I leave it to my counsel to speak for me. That was all she said. That's what you pay them to do, though. <laughs> so, and she probably paid a good amount of money because they had money. I think she hired the best of the best. Yes. <laughs> yeah, if your life is on the line. <laughs> they brought the actual skulls. They beheaded the bodies and brought the actual skulls of her dad and stepmom into the courtroom. At which yeah. point Lizzie fainted. I don't blame her. And now there's a whole bunch of things that they used to try to convict her with. Things that the prosecution would have said made Lizzie look guilty. And then I would argue that there's maybe a whole bunch of things that pose some reasonable doubt. One of the things that was seen as like a smoking gun of sorts was the dress. A whole drama with the dress. Is the dress blue or gold or is it white? (laughs) (laughs) What color is the dress? Circa 1800s. (laughs) Lizzie Borden trial. It's an optical illusion. There was drama on the dress. Lizzie's dress that she was wearing. And the biggest misstep was that she supposedly burned a dress in the days following the murder. She burned a dress in her stove in the kitchen. Which doesn't look good. You know what I mean? I'll give them that. It doesn't look good. It does not look good. However, let's think this through. She did this in front of other people. Like there were witnesses. She was just going about her regular business. She was not trying to hide the fact that she was burning a dress. She was openly burning a dress in her kitchen. And she was actually asked, what are you doing? And she said, this dress has paint on it. So I'm just like, I think I don't think she burned even the whole dress or I don't even know. She cut a piece of it off and there was like some stuff that she was burning. Part of the dress, whatever. Yeah. So she wasn't trying to hide it. She wasn't trying to hide it. This was in the days after the murder had happened. I'm not sure she knew she was the suspect at this point. She was just trying to somehow go about her life. And she was just trying to fix her dress. She got paint on it. She doesn't want to wear a dress with paint on it. (laughs) No, like if you had actually committed the murders, do you think you would just be so cavalier to just be like burning the clothes that you murdered in in the middle of your kitchen in front of everyone while the police are probably parked outside your house no you do that shit a you do that shit at night (laughs) you do that when no one's around (laughs) and you do that like immediately immediately (laughs) so they don't find it so the fact that she seemed so unconcerned like she was just like what do you mean i'm just burning a dress leads me to believe that it was like an innocent action not to mention there were all sorts of people that watched her burn the dress and none of them can attest that there was any type of blood staining or anything like that on the dress you get paint on it on a sweater your paints in your house your inside house and you get paint it dries different than like blood like you can kind of get rid of blood on your clothes paint you really can't so paint is different than blood <laughs> Arguably, if she had committed those two murders, of which Mm -hmm. there was like blood splatter throughout the entire rooms, she would have had a very colorfully colored dress with blood on it. Yes. The fact that people watched her holding this dress over the counter in the kitchen and nobody 
seemed to say it looked like it was blood stained, only the fact that she happened to be burning a dress. And that also plays back to the day of the murder. She would have been in like the timeline. She would have been full of blood on her. Like she would have to have the time to, I'm assuming, shower, which they didn't have like a normal like shower that they do today. So she would have to like rinse herself off, get any evidence off of her. And she would have to like change her clothes, like and hide those clothes like that would have blood on it. So there was just, yeah, no. No, <laughs> it's not mathing for me. <laughs> no, and she didn't have time to go anywhere. So this would have all been presumably like the stuff would still be in the house. Like the murder weapon would still be in the house. The dress, all the bloody clothes like that all would have been in the house. Right. And the police searched the house. Yeah. So many people saw her on the day of the murder, right after the murders happened. So they would be able to testify as to what she was wearing and if it was even the dress that was seen being burned. And the witnesses couldn't even agree on that. That simple fact. They asked every single person, what was she wearing when you saw her? What was the dress? What color was the dress? What did it look like? Was it blue? Was it light blue? Was it dark blue? Was it baby blue? Was it periwinkle? Like they just had a lot of questions. And everybody gave varying answers. So it kind of goes back to, do you remember like the time of day situation? Like, would you remember what someone was wearing? No. Right. Like I wouldn't. Like, do you remember what your daughter is wearing right now? Like, what do you know what your daughter wore two days ago? So my daughter is a bad example because I'm the one who like has to go up to the closet and pick it out. But okay. (laughs) But my husband, no, like I couldn't tell you what he wore to work this morning. I couldn't tell you what he wore to work yesterday. That's another, a lot of it is like hearsay. Like you don't know, you know, and people probably might be saying things like that is the dress she wore, this color dress, whatever it is, because they think that's what they saw. Right. But then think about how many other people were present in that time in the chaos, the circus, like if you will, Mm -hmm. like you called it. There were many other women that were hustling and bustling around that house. So it's like, yeah, maybe you saw a blue dress or you saw this, but like who was wearing it? You might not even have it on the right person. Exactly. Yeah. Would you be able to pick that dress up out of a lineup of dresses? And the person attached to it. That was one of their like big smoking guns was the dress. And Mm -hmm. to me, it just falls flat. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. A thousand percent. I understand why. Because obviously it's very sketchy that you're burning something. But if you lay everything all out, nah, (laughs) she's good. The other thing was a quote unquote murder weapon, which it looked like it was obviously like blunt force trauma to the head. They went Mm -hmm. looking for the weapon and they found these axes in the basement of the home, which just to put it out there was very common. Like, I'm pretty sure there was like two giant like wood rooms in the basement that they used to fuel fire in the home so yes you have an assortment of axes down there that you use to chop the wood i'm sure every single person living in florida at that time (laughs) probably had several axes as well (laughs) yes and i guess the axes were all down there just kind of covered in coal dust because they had coal burning in the basement as well dusty dusty Mm -hmm. axes One of them had a broken handle. 
So there was no, it was like just the axe head without the handle. Rough and rugged surfaces on these, like not smooth surfaces that like if you had a bloody axe and needed to clean it to get all the blood off of it, you probably would not have even been able to get all the blood out of all of the like rugged surfaces of the axe. Wouldn't the dust be disrupted? Let's say, like, obviously, I don't know what the basement looked like, but if you have a bunch of axes that are just collecting dust and you take one, wouldn't it be like a missing piece? <laughs> like something that looks clean? Because, like, you know, like when you take, you pick something up from like in a dusty area, it like lays out the shape of the axe. I would say, I don't know if these were like hanging up or laying down, but wouldn't something be like disrupted at least? They claim that she used one of these axes or multiple of these axes for the murder. Obviously, they would have been full of blood. She washed them off and then she put coal dust back on them and, oh. and, hung, them, and hung them back up. That's what they're saying. The prosecution was saying the dust on one of the axes they claimed was coarser than the fine dust on another axe and therefore that she cleaned it of blood and then put dust back on it mind you they're saying she had like 10 minutes <laughs> to do all mm. this yeah so it's not and mathing for me no and if she had blood again the axes would have been bloody she would have been bloody she would have had blood on her wouldn't there be some like trail of blood along the house like, you know, she's leaving the, like, let's say the sitting room where he was, like, she's like, hey, like, I got to get into the kitchen now to clean this or whatever the bath. I don't know. Wouldn't there be some type of, like, trail dripping, at least from the, either from the axe or, like, something smeared from, like, her dress to the ground? Like, crime scenes are not clean. <laughs> like, she would have been a mess. <laughs> Correct. And they didn't have, like, indoor plumbing, like you said earlier, so... I think they use what they call slop buckets, which is like they would like wash and bathe and like there would just be this like slop bucket that you would collect the the washings into. And then I think you'd have to go down to like the basement to like empty it or something. This is given like our parents time, though. <laughs> That's sad. Our parents didn't live so much differently than Lizzie Borden's era. <laughs> And so another piece of information or evidence that they claimed that they had against her was that the police that were stationed outside of her home claimed that they saw her go down into the basement with a the uh, another woman that was staying there with a lantern and a slop bucket or something down to the basement and then back up. And then they claimed that they saw Lizzie go back by herself after that down to the basement and back up. They were asking them, what were you doing in the basement? And they were like, I was emptying the slop bucket. The clothing that they cut off of the bodies that they were performing an autopsy on and the dining room table was just there. Like Lizzie had to bring the, the bloody clothes down to the basement and literally like wash it or rinse it or get rid of it or burn it or whatever she had to do. But like, yeah, why was I not taken in as like evidence why was it like Lizzie's job now to be like, oh, here's the raggedy, bloody clothes that we just cut off of your dead parents. So she had to like bring that down to the basement. Like, so she was just like trying to survive, trying to do her, do her thing. She wasn't doing anything shady. They definitely should have like took that into evidence. But did you know 
I didn't know this, that if there is like a, a homicide or something that happens in your house, like you're responsible to clean up after. You can obviously hire and pay for like a crew, but like I don't think like the police department, like that's that's not on them. Like it's on you to like clean up your house. I'm like, oh, that's kind of mess. <laughs> that's interesting to think about. It, it seems kind of like, okay, I can see that. Why, if if this woman is supposedly a suspect and you're just letting her muddy up the crime scene and yeah. like stuff that should be evidence, like it just seems strange. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't want, you don't want your only suspect you have. <laughs> Again, going back to what I was saying, like being in the house and like cleaning. <laughs> Apparently, she also had her period at some point. So, like, she part of her slop bucket was period related. So, like, it just gets gets messy. Gets messy. You know, every man in that courtroom, (laughs) every single juror in that courtroom's face was like disgusted when they heard about period blood. (laughs) Is the blood coming (laughs) from within or from the outside? Nobody knows. One of the police officers claims that they went to inspect the barn where Lizzie says that she was during the time of the murder, at least the time of the dad's murder. And she had said she was up in the loft area. She had either opened a window, ate an apple, was looking for something, did her thing. He claims that he went up there and it was a layer of dust Mm. in the loft with no footprints in it. And then he kind of went up and like walked around. He claimed he could see all of his and count all of his footprints that he made up there, but that there were no footprints prior to his footprints being up there. So he says. Was it documented in any way? Just one person seeing this? And you also have to think about just what's going on in the world around because this made national news. And so you have national news sources reporting on this daily since it happened because this was a rich man, millionaire that they claimed that was brutally murdered with his wife in his home with an axe to the head. The police had every incentive to be like, we got to shut this down immediately. We got to find the murderer quick. Right. Yeah. We'll we'll follow whatever a little lead and we'll fill in the gaps if we need to. You know what I'm saying? That's so shitty. Yeah. yeah. Like they almost wanted to find that it was like someone from the inside. Because it would be like too scary for it to be like an unknown. It's just a little scarier. <laughs> right. But I also don't think it would have been random. I think it would have been. Agreed. Somebody yeah, with no. a motive outside of the people who lived with him. Like yeah, a business associate agreed. or somebody he wronged throughout his business. So. Now, like in this case, it's definitely like someone that knew them apparently there's all kinds of testimony from all kinds of witnesses and people about all these random people that they saw loitering around at or about the time of the murder that same morning the night before all this stuff and like just dead dead leads never went anywhere yeah yeah i don't understand like people (laughs) people sitting on their porch people hanging over their fence posts unknown people to the neighborhood like just Nobody cared about any of that. I guess the most surprising thing for this entire case, and it was kind of news to me when I first pulled this up. 
I pulled up the Wikipedia page for Lizzie Borden before I went down all my other rabbit holes. And in like the first sentence, it was like Lizzie Borden acquitted of the murder of her dad and stepmom. And I said, this bitch got acquitted. (laughs) I said, what? And so despite all of this evidence that they were trying to paint her as the murderer, after only an hour and a half of deliberation. Yeah, so quick. They came back and said, not guilty. My girl. My girl, Lizzie. (laughs) Do you want to know what I think was most at play for the not guilty verdict? The 12 men being misogynists and thinking that a woman wouldn't have the means to commit that. She wouldn't have been able to wield an axe like that. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I think that's why she got off, not because of anything else with the evidence or, or not. (laughs) and she had to kill two not only one like she killed two and she killed a man as well (laughs) a woman on man like she killed a man and i don't think any one of those 12 men was ready to say i think a woman could have overpowered a man in that situation whether he was sleeping or not yeah i think you hit the door with the nail (laughs) is that the saying no it's not no you know I never get Saiyans right. <laughs> if not Lizzie, then who? That's still a question that plays today after hundred and something years later. You think she's innocent? I do. I do kind of I do kind of think she's innocent. Like I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I still don't know if I think she's like a hundred percent innocent. So I think that ultimately the court case did its job there was reasonable doubt and she was acquitted that's kind of what happened Mm -hmm. innocent until proven guilty i don't think they had evidence or not good evidence it was all kind of circumstantial and they just kind of made shit up but then who could have done this and what are your theories who do you think is sketchy in this story i'll tell you who i think is sketchy so i always go back thinking that like maybe it's the maid because there's always like that rumor about uh, like Lizzie being a lesbian that's still always unclear. So like, did she have something with the maid? There's always like that rumor. But then I always just keep going back to like, it's someone maybe the father fucked over. I know the maid was in the house, but I just don't really feel like there's enough there that sketches me out about her. She right, seemed same. like a straight shooter. I think she went back to Ireland for a little bit and then she went to live in like out west in the u.s Mm -hmm. and i think she had some type of like deathbed confessional thing where she was just talking about how she said what she said to protect lizzie or something she said something of that effect on her deathbed but who knows who knows what that's all about to me the doctor seems super sketchy his name just seemed to get brought up in like the sketchiest ways like okay he's the one who drugs the bitch he drugged her Mm -hmm. up with all that morphine right he happened to get home right at the time that they needed him. He was oh, just getting home at 11 o'clock, right when they called him across the road. Something along the lines. I don't think we've actually even brought this piece up yet, but there was something with the stepmom and a boy showing up at the house supposedly in the morning with a note 
calling her to to leave the house and go somewhere in the city. Somebody was sick, oh. something something of that effect. A note was never found. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I remember that now. Nobody ever found a note that the boy would have had. People said, oh, she might have thrown it in the fire or it might have gone into the fire after she read it or whatever. She just tossed it in there as like a habit. And the doctor was found like in all the circus of the immediate aftermath. The doctor was found like messing with the fire at the time where he had ripped up some paper and he was like throwing it in the fire. Mm, interesting. Okay. I was like, Sneod, what are you doing over by that fire in this crime yeah. scene? What kind of papels are you throwing in the fire at the crime scene? Yeah, sketchy behavior. Sketchy behavior, right? Yeah, no. It's another, it's a, he's another good suspect. And the detude was the one who said, oh, you guys are crazy. There's nothing to worry about. You're not being poisoned. When they came over and said, we think we're being poisoned. That's also true. He was like, Oh, ha, ha, ha. he like, laughed it off. You guys are so silly. Mr. Detour is not looking too good. It just sucks that like the cops didn't investigate other like s- suspects. So we would have at least like more information. Like they they just, you know, like I said, they just thought it was Lizzie and they just everything was towards Lizzie. Like there's other potential like people and they just didn't. Like it sinks is we have like maybe they would have if they investigated further, there would have been more information about these other people and maybe we could figure it out. Like I don't know. <laughs> Somebody else that I find super sketchy is the uncle. The uncle wasn't re- blood related to either of them. He wasn't blood related to the dad or the stepmom because he was a relative of the first wife, Lizzie's mm-hmm. mom, who had passed. He just appears out of thin air the night before, stays the night. Happens to be out of town on errands, quote unquote, while this is all happening and arrives right back at the house as soon as it is over. Yeah. And they ruled him out because he had some like alibi of sorts. But his alibi was like oddly specific, very specific. He had train numbers and conductors names and this and that. And he had like all this very like, like if you were to pre-write out your alibi. Yeah. Yeah. Your alibi gets very detailed when you're faking it. You would not have just known all these details. You wouldn't have just been like, oh, yeah, I went on the horse carriage and it was number four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And the conductor's name was this. And we passed by this street and this woman was wearing a blue dress. And this like it was just too much information. Yeah. That it seemed shady to me. My, you know, like, oh, where were you at the time of the murder? You'd be like, oh, I was at the movie theaters. Obviously, I'm not saying in this case, but I was at the movie theaters and I watched Jurassic Park, they were just like cops today would go to the movie, th- you know, either you, and if you still had your ticket stub or your email, saying you either can show that, but you know, you can still just buy a ticket stub and not go to the movies, right? And then cops would go to the movie theaters to try to confirm <laughs> to see if you were there. Like this guy has a lot of details. <laughs> she ended up moving out of the house that the murders occurred in. She moved to another property in the Highlands. Bought a house there, lived there for the rest of her life. Her and her sister lived together there for a while. They had a falling out. Her sister moved up to New Hampshire. And they never, like, spoke with each other again. No, but then Lizzie died and her sister died, like, 10 days later. Like, you know, they were in their 60s or something when that finally happened. Yeah. But they got buried at Oak Grove Cemetery. Swim my vavouche. <laughs> my vavouche <are> there. <laughs> Just for living in eternal rest with Lizzie. 
And Lizzie had a will written out. And the will is rather interesting. And I think that there's like an odd piece of information that could be a clue in her will. She had a bunch of money that she inherited from this, right? And she donated a lot of her money to like animal rescue leagues and stuff. So she gave money to a lot of people. It's a really long will with a really long list of people that she gave money to. And the amounts were all pretty similar. And then she gave one giant amount, like the bulk of her estate went to animal shelter. She donated to more than one, but one of them got the bulk of Mm -hmm. her money. It dwarfed any other thing in her will by a long shot. It would have been the equivalent of like half a million dollars today or something to animal (laughs) shelter. And the comment that it said, it said to the Animal Rescue League of Fall River, the sum of $30,000, which again at the time, also my shares of stock in the Stevens Manufacturing Company. I have been fond of animals and their need is great and there are so few who care for them. Now, there was some rumblings that her dad had killed pigeons out by the barn with a hatchet. Yes. Prior to the the murders taking place and that she had built up this whole like little pigeon roosting area up there because she really liked the pigeons and he had killed them. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be fond of someone <laughs> that was hurting animals either. <laughs> I'm just saying she's shown in her will that even at her death at 60 some years old, she was willing to put all her stock in the animals of which she was so fond and so few people care for animals. Her dad clearly did not care for animals. This is another one of those similarities with you and Lizzie. That's why I love her. Even if she is a a murderer, (laughs) she loved animals. I have actually two, uh, two quick, I know we're starting to wrap up, but I have two like kind of quick stories. When I was interning in college at the police department, our local police department for a semester, they showed me, I couldn't like look through it, obviously, but they showed me just Lizzie Borden's files of like the murder. It's like in storage, it's old, like nobody can like really, I'm sure people could go through it that maybe need to go through it but i don't think you need to go through it today like i couldn't even like touch the freaking thing (laughs) because like the papers are so brittle i just thought it was really cool and neat like that the police department still has you know that stored away you can i know it's like kind of cool and then i've gone to the lizzie borden's house like i said it's a bed and breakfast today um i didn't sleep there or anything like my brother did i didn't sleep there we just did the tour but we did like a night tour and it was like a night ghost tour where we got to like have the little thing in our hand. Um, can't think of the name of it where you like ask a question and you see if like a, if anyone comes through. So they say like Andrew Borden comes through a lot. And I have video. I have videos. So I'm going to post. <laughs> you know, you got to end spooky season right. Even like workers that work there. They say Andrew comes through a lot. You got like the bed. Like the bedrooms are upstairs. We did like the living room and we saw the way the couch was. I don't think it's the actual couch that he was axed on, but I think it's, sim- it's similar to the couch he was laying down on. We got to go through the basement. The basement was freaking creepy looking. Uh, there's a bedroom down in the basement. Don't know if there was a bedroom down in the basement at that time, but there's a bedroom now. <laughs> 
that you can sleep in as part of the bed and breakfast experience? That I don't know, but I would want to do it. <laughs> Go back and explain to me. You said you had a thing in your hand. Yeah. So we were like walking around with like a little EMF and it's like frequencies and stuff like that. You have to like, you know, you turn it on and it's all like staticky and you just, we would walk around different parts of the room and you would just ask any just random questions. So I have a video and you hear like other groups just asking, like just asking questions and you just want to hear if, if EMF picks anything up. So like people were asking like people were really serious about it and asking like serious questions, like as if they were going to try to solve the Lizzie game. <laughs> Some people were being goofy and like stupid, but like you'd be like, oh, are you here, Andrew? And then like you would wait to see if it, you know, says anything. No, when say you say anything. says something, what do you actually mean? Like, it's not going to be like, yes, hello, it's me, Andrew. Like, what what do you mean? <laughs> So it's like magnetic. So you kind of almost hear like a voice. It's not clear. That's why it's like so difficult to get like a response. But you kind of do like you'll hear like a little voice. Like you do. I'm going to post the video. <laughs> and there's no part of you that thinks there's just like a guy in a back room working the radio switch. And he's just no play- playing it like a walkie talkie. There's no part no. of you that thinks that that's what's happening. Not at the Lizzie's house, I don't think. Because that's been around now forever. And I think like they would have gotten, right? I don't know, like someone would have caught on on that. Maybe not. So that's exactly what it is. It's like, it's like almost like a walkie-talkie. So you don't hear like the message coming in through. So it's hard to tell. So that's why you, you have to like, you almost have to repeat yourself like constantly. And then- <laughs> I know, I know you like don't. You're not into this shit. I know it. I know it. And then uh, they do like a night vision. You have like a night vision camera. I, I didn't use like the night vision camera, uh, but obviously other people did. And then they have the dining room. They have um, like the axe. They have all that stuff. It's just it's it's an awesome visit. Even if you just don't want to, do, you can do like a normal tour where you just go to each room. You go to the bedroom where she was. Uh, the mom was murdered. Um, you could just do like the basic tour or you can do a night <laughs> night spooky tour. And then at the end of it, they made us like sit in a circle and they had somebody off to the side wearing headphones. Everyone that was in the circle was just asking questions. We were all just, you know, Andrew, are you here? Like, Lizzie, are you here? And the person that's wearing the headphones would scream out if they heard anything. It sounds like. Ouija board nonsense. (laughs) So you'd be like, Andrew, like, did Lizzie kill you? And then if the person wearing the headphones, we even scream out like, yes or no. So it was it was fun. I recommend if you're into spooky stuff. I have actually been to that house, but it was so long ago and I wasn't into it. So I like don't I remember walking through it, but I don't remember details because I I was like, this is so stupid. I got kicked (laughs) less. I love it. I love how it's so opposite. <laughs> well, we appreciate you joining us on this two-episode Lizzie Borden journey. I hope if you're from the area, you learned something new that you didn't previously know about Lizzie. Or if you're not from the area, I hope you enjoyed le- learning all about it. Thanks for listening, guys. And we're done. And back to our regularly scheduled programming. No more spooky episodes going forward. <laughs> <laughs>